In the seventh episode of The Modern Agilist, we talk with international speaker, trainer, and leadership coach, Bernie Maloney. The teams he's worked with have delivered products ranging from award-winning consumer electronics to network infrastructure to services and payments. Over the past 20 years, Bernie's led businesses and programs using Agile and Waterfall in both software and hardware. Currently, he's working with teams running Kanban and Scrum while advancing lean practices. He thrives in ambiguous environments and loves bringing order out of chaos, turning strategies into results. Join us as Bernie discusses how lean principle in eliminating waste can improve your business's productivity by 10%. Bernie also answers the question on how one can quantify if a scrum master is making a difference in a business. And finally, how hypnosis and Jedi mind tricks helped launch his successful career. So um, basically how all this came to be, and I'm going to humiliate myself a little bit in this, is that uh, uh, I have some some agile type certifications from different organizations, institutions, but um, I did not have a uh, CSM certified scrum master from is it uh, Agile Alliance? Scrum Alliance. Agile, Scrum Alliance. Scrum Alliance. Agile Alliance doesn't offer certifications. Okay, okay. Scrum, Scrum Alliance. Okay. So I did not have one. And the organization that I'm a part of, it, it, there's a there's kind of a, a, a expectation or requirement to have that, right? So I said, uh, my intention was, you know, I'm going to take this class. I'm going to kind of listen on one screen. I'll check my emails on another screen, get caught up on a few things. And um and then, Man, then know, I sucked him in. <laughs> yeah, I'm on a rapid blast <laughs> through this thing. And what I found was, is that when I started this class, I could not do that. Now, I couldn't do that for a few reasons. One is the way in which it was presented was extremely engaging. It was more engaging than any type of online uh, thing I've ever been a part of. And also, I felt um, extremely humbled uh, that... I came out of this course from from Bernie after a few days with the feeling not that I know stuff and I could just half listen, but with the feeling that I don't know much at all. Um, and and I'll, I'll say this strangely enough, when it was all said and done, it was actually really encouraging because that's the starting point probably of learning is coming to a place where you see I, I don't know much. OK, and so um, and also. I would say, um, you know, the, the, the final speech you gave Bernie at the end of the class and the only way I could characterize it was just a, a call to a deeper, a real authentic servant leadership. I, I felt so impacted by it. My eyes got a little watery there at the end. And I thought, dude, this is this guy is operating at another level. I never heard anyone talk like this, go through material like this. And it just it really put some wind in my sails about um, what there is left on the table for us to learn and grow into and, and uh, higher levels of proficiency. And so I thought, man, I, I would love to, to hear more about you and how you got to where you're at and what you're interested in and where you think things are going. You even you mentioned some crazy stories you didn't have a chance to get into um, that. I thought, oh, I want to hear that story, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I heard that yeah, too, and yeah. I want to hear it too. Yeah. yeah. So, so Bernie, I wonder if you could just say kind of who you are from your perspective, and like, what's your main squeeze? What do you do from day to day? Ooh, um. So, hi everybody. My name is Bernie Maloney. Um, 
So lots of folks think of me as an agile coach or trainer. But what I like to tell all my classes is um, really deep down, I believe there lies untapped potential in everyone and in every organization. And my own mission in life after a lot of introspection several years ago, right about the same time I really got onto the path of Agile, is helping to accelerate that genius. Um, and what I really do with my clients is I help them make breakthroughs in performance with their teams, their organizations, and sometimes even themselves. So that's at a high level view, Justice, and I can go way deep down a rabbit hole real fast. <laughs> yeah, it's... That's pretty deep and straight to the personal side of things, you know, <laughs> personal breakthroughs and breakthroughs with your teams. It's, it's a little more expansive and comprehensive and kind of a vision rather than, hey, I, I work for so-and-so or this is who signs my yeah. type stuff. So that's cool. So like, like my ultimate vision, <clears throat> some of my private clients, I, I really do help people make breakthroughs. Um, one of my favorite stories comes from, golly, was it? I think it was Agile 20. 17, it must have been, yeah. Uh, a couple of people who had met me at Agile 2015 came by and said, hey, Bernie, we could use some. Okay, this is where I kind of take you all behind the curtain really fast. Like I said, rabbit holes. I'm a trained <laughs> hypnotist, um, as well as some of the other skills that no, I, I bring to the table. They're like, wait, Bernie, work is just going sideways. We could use some of that hypnosis stuff. And I'm like, okay, great. Let's talk about it. Well, <clears throat> in helping them do a general release of uh, major negative emotions like anger, fed, sadness, fear, hurt, and guilt, uh, what came up is one of them had a, a irrational fear bordering on a phobia of submarines. And that was the year that David Marquet, who's that submarine captain that's known in agile circles, was the keynote speaker. So they had gotten a little triggered at the keynote. And when something like this comes up with a, uh, a client of one sort or another, the way I'm trained is like, would, would you like help with that? And because I only work by permission. And yeah, so inside, oh, after doing the general release, inside, uh, I think it was probably 30 minutes, uh, took her from what would have been a 12 on the scale of seeing a submarine photo on my iPad to a one or a two on a pain scale. Um, so really helped her make a profound personal breakthrough with stuff that um, hadn't really impacted her life but it was something that was really bothering her. And my vision, so I know that that's absolutely possible at a personal level. And my vision for what I really do with Agile is, Agile's kind of what gets my foot in the door. And my vision is really making that sort of a deep and profound breakthrough at an organizational level, because I'm really aiming to have an impact in the world. Man, so we're about three minutes in, and my mind's already blown here. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm I'm guarding my mind right now, Bernie, against you know Jedi okay. mind tricks. But so, if they're for the good, feel free to ask. So, so this is not that, the podcast you were looking for. Okay, and if you'd <laughs> yes. like me to unpack that linguistics, I can. I can tell you why okay. that phrasing is actually um, uh, quite useful. Or, 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 or um, powerful is probably even a better word. But here's the thing. If, if people have hmm, a little bit of a fear about hypnosis, one of the things you have to realize is trance is a normal human state. I'm going to ask you all honestly. Have you ever driven someplace and get there and you kind of go, well, wait, how did I get here? Yes. Oh, yeah. yeah. Whole okay. weeks passed. Right. Absolutely. Like that. <laughs> That's trance. Okay. 
That's okay. trance. And all a hypnotist does, I, I liken them to a Sherpa. They help you get there faster. Hmm. That's it. So it's a yep. normal human state that really taps into the power of the unconscious mind. Um, and, and that's the level that like, I like to work with, with my clients, with my students, with the organizations that I work with, because that's what un unleashes that potential. Mm -hmm. um, so you've probably heard agilists say, you know, like one thing Justice I may have said in class was, hey, how many of you would like a 10% improvement in of, of effectiveness in your organization? Show of hands. You know, people, hands go up. And I like to tell clients, hey, that's super easy. You go to a lean principle, honestly, and you eliminate waste. You start looking for where there's waste in the system. And getting to a 10% improvement in effectiveness is honestly pretty straightforward. What's truly possible is 2 to 5x. And that's the level of impact that I'm aiming for. I've actually got data from simulations that I've run at conferences that um, I will from time to time reference with clients and go, you know, here, you want hard data that shows that this is possible? Here you go. <laughs> um, I've got ways of, of showing you. So justice, that same sort of a profound, wow, this is deeper and deeper that you got in class is stuff that's honestly there. I just have a bunch of tools that I use in my kit. Did, did, um, did you arrive at this interest and, in, you know, expertise in, in the hypnosis? Did you arrive at that through, uh, the agile space? Oh, you want to know my path in, into the rabbit hole. This okay. That's exactly yeah. what I was going to ask too. Yeah. How'd, yeah. You, how'd you get to this point? Yeah. Okay. So how far back do you want me to go? Um, I'm actually no. trained as a, I'm a trained as a mechanical engineer. Oh, wow. Okay. I'm actually licensed in the state of California. Um, and, uh, that was my path really coming out of school, but in mechanical engineering, I got as close as you could to computers without getting out of mechanical engineering. It's control system theory. Mm -hmm. And, uh, when I came to Silicon Valley, it's like, I really want to apply that sort of stuff. I started doing factory floor automation. Eventually my wife's work took us to France and I got hired into HP um, when we came back from France, I worked in another division. And then out of that division, I joined the consumer PC division at HP. Now that was a rocket ship of a ride. Um, it was an intrapreneurial experience. So when I started there, the division was just break even. And it was uh, six SKUs, stock keeping units or products a quarter. While I was there over those eight years, we grew from six to 20 to by the time I left, 200 SKUs in Europe alone every quarter. Oh, wow. We had distributed teams. So we had volume manufacturing in Asia, engineering in Silicon Valley, and our go-to-market for Europe was in Grenoble, France. Um, now, consumer PCs, this is the late 90s, have sheet metal in them, okay? Um, that's a 14-month design cycle. Motherboards are about a nine-month design cycle, but Consumer PCs, because Intel changes their roadmap every three months, only have about a three-month shelf life. Okay. Or you have really rotting bananas on the shelves. Okay, um, Just kind of wrap your head around that. That's a lot of material risk that's coming in. Uh, we had to get really good at mitigating that risk. And we did it, honestly, with what maps to scrum. So I had had this gangbuster sort of an experience because while I was there, we grew, the business grew from break even 
to uh, a billion dollars a quarter run rate. At one point in my career, I was personally responsible for the tactical delivery of about 2% of HP's revenue. So, um, and I had zero direct reports, which blows people's minds. <laughs> but I knew from that experience, and we all knew from that experience, it was magical. And <clears throat> about the time that uh, I was moving out of that division is where I came across a body of knowledge known as neurolinguistic programming. Now, this is where we do get into Jedi mind tricks. Um, it is the closest thing I found to Jedi mind tricks is the sizzly way that I kind of describe it. It's really a study of good communication. Mm -hmm. And there are people that love it, like me, and there are people that hate it, okay? There are people that think it's evil, okay? And there are people that, like me, that see it as a tool and really are schooled to use it only for good. Mm -hmm. And when you go down the path of NLP, eventually you're going to get into hypnosis the deeper and deeper you go down that path. Now, one of the really interesting things is I had just kind of gotten the beginning level of NLP when I got a formal education in Agile. And one of the mind-blowing things for me, now this was around 2010, at that point the Scrum Guide talked about the team being uh, seven plus or minus two people. Mm -hmm. Okay, and they also made reference to a satir curve you're probably more familiar with it in Bruce Tuckman's terms of forming, storming, norming, and performing. And Justice, if you remember, I drew a picture of one of these um, mm -hmm. in class. Well, uh, here's a couple of interesting things out of NLP. Virginia Satir was one of the models for the development of NLP. So she was one of two folks. The other one was Milton Erickson that uh, Bandler and Grinder really studied and looked at how they were getting very effective therapies accomplished and their reasoning in developing NLP was, okay, if they can get it, maybe like a computer program, we can copy it and get similar results. And that's what NLP is all about, is finding success and then having the tools to be able to copy that pattern to replicate it. So I came into Agile knowing about the success at HP, and I had learned about NLP already, knowing if you've got the language to describe something, then you can replicate that level of success. So when I got formally schooled in Agile, I was like, oh my gosh, here's the language that describes what we did at HP. Holy smokes, I can replicate this. And I've been kind of on that path of helping other organizations make those breakthroughs in performance that I've talked about since then. So that's kind of how I got where I am. Wow. I, uh, yeah, that's, this is, this is exactly the kind of stuff that you were talking about, um, over the, over those last several days that I came away with a, a, a lot of notes. And I, in fact, I'm halfway through that uh, Management 3.0 book. Mm -hmm. And um, with the Ford written by Uncle Bob, you know, the clean code guy. And, uh, and, 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 I'm, and I'm like, I've never seen a management book like this. This is like this strange love child of engineering, psychology, systems and management with agility and so um a rabbit falling down a rabbit hole is, Ooh, is a good description oh, yeah okay if you want to go down <laughs> if you want to go down a um, more current rabbit hole you might look into i think it's hamill's work humanocracy humanocracy okay. is a really good book uh to to go check out and look at what's possible they've got case studies and case studies in there and if you want to follow like one of my one of my other voices that I follow is uh, Steve Denning. Okay. 
uh, and he talked, I, I first came to him with his book, uh, Storytelling, The Secret Language of Leadership. Mm-hmm. And uh, really, that's that's the path I'm on, is helping people be leaders. Mm-hmm. And he talked about effective storytelling patterns. And at about the same time, I saw Simon Sinek's Start, start With Why video. Mm-hmm. That is still, I think, one of the top five TED Talks of all time. Mm-hmm. And I realized it was the same pattern. And I realized how powerful it was. And then at about that point, Denning took a pivot into Agile, and he's been on that Agile path ever since. And so he writes really good stuff on on blogs. Hmm. Let, me, let me ask, do, do you feel like, because um, in other circles, I, you know, um, I would come away sometimes from like project management or kind of Agile groups or whatever, and, and just feeling a little bit... Um, bored or that maybe like it was just kind of uh hanging on to what had come what had come in the past and um after spending several days with you i felt like i was exposed to like stuff i had never heard of before and and kind of an increased sense that there's a whole lot to figure out and 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 advances to still be made where do you fall in the spectrum? Do you feel like we need to harken back to what has been shown to work and, and is true? Or do you feel like we're still kind of advancing this space into the future and there's a whole lot more to be uncovered and to, and to develop, you know, to evolve into? Yes. <laughs> that's so, a, ter- that a terribly uh, close-ended question. <laughs> so it is a yes to both. Uh, what I would say is, okay, I'm a, I'm a really big believer that product backlog items should have four attributes. Okay, they were explicitly called out in the 2017 Scrum Guide description order, value and estimate. In the 2020 Scrum Guide, they dropped out value. Honestly, I think that was a mistake. So going back to some of the basics, I'd say, 90, 95% of my clients don't put value on as an attribute distinct from effort. And what happens is the organization then starts to blend the concept of value in with order. Ooh, this is high priority stuff. We've got to get it done. Or they blend it in with estimate. Ooh, we need more velocity out of the team. Okay. And it's honestly a distinct attribute. So we've got to go back to those basics. Think of teams that you've been in where you get to the end of the sprint and the most important thing wasn't completed. And somebody says to the team, you know, that was the most valuable thing, the most important thing. And the team says something like, oh, if we'd only known that, we would have been sure to get it done. Okay, part of that is because you haven't made that value explicit. So I tell my product owner classes, you know, if I ever come in and consult in your organization, and knowing that you were one of my students, um, if I see that you have not put value on as a distinct attribute, I will publicly berate you. Now, I'll do it politely, but that's a huge and very easy thing to do for every team, is just start making value transparent. What I learned back in those days of HP, uh, consumer PC buyers could go walk up to a shelf in a store like, hey, Circuit City no longer exists, and look at a computer sitting there on the shelf at the price point on the computer and five major configuration aspects. And they could look at a competitor's model right next to it, price point, 
those configuration aspects. They didn't even have to like pull out a sheet of paper and do a pencil, uh, a pencil calculation. Mm -hmm. Their unconscious mind would be able to tell which one was the better deal. Right. Because our unconscious minds can actually synthesize stuff like that. So when you show value to your teams, okay, distinct from effort, they're going to go, oh, that's why it's ordered the way it is. Now we get it because they're going to understand the dependencies in and of themselves. So yes to basics. Okay. Now, yes to the future. Boy, even in agile circles. So with my credentialing, I, I have a certified scrum trainer. There's less than 300 of us worldwide. And a lot of people that come into this path really come out of a deep software background. And so they're dyed in the wool. Hey, you know, it's the Agile Manifesto for software development. Right. And there are people that think, yeah, you can't do it with hardware. And that's why I like to tell my story about, hey, 20 years ago, kind of did it. Okay. Or there's people like Joe Justice, who's far more famous than I am. Um, he's given a TED Talk and he consults with big name clients all around the world. So he's kind of known for hardware in this space. So I think there's places to go beyond software in industry. I also think going into the future, there's an even bigger space to go into. So um, full disclosure, my wife is the uh, COO of the Business Agility Institute. And Evan Laybourne, who's the founder and the CEO, a few years back when he founded it, he came up with a talk, which was Evan's um, theory of constraints. And I've got a short little video that copied this at the beginning of 2020, because I really thought 2020 was going to be our breakthrough year. Here's kind of a history of Agile. About 20 years ago, the bottleneck. So if you, if you dig into Agile thinking, you'll get to theory of constraints at some point. Any system has a constraint. Okay, it's a bottleneck. And if you go relieve the bottleneck, you can get more value out of the system. You'll find another bottleneck, but that's really what theory of constraints is at a simple, simplistic level. 20 years ago, it was in the creation of software, and that's really where the manifesto came up. About 10 years ago, what had happened is that bottleneck had been relieved, and now it was about the ability to deploy that software. Okay, and That's where DevOps became popular. Ooh, okay, so now that bottleneck is relieved, and what's happening, in my opinion, is the bottleneck is now moving upstream and into the business side and really into the discovery of the problem to solve. All right, Bernie, you're giving me goosebumps over here now. Yeah, I mean, this is something, <laughs> uh, this, this is this is right up our alley, Straight right? Straight alpha Definitely right here. Something yeah. we've been, we've been mm -hmm. talking about for a while. I'm interested in this specifically, mm -hmm. yeah. Okay, so honestly, I see a huge opportunity well outside the software area, well outside the engineering area, whether you're hardware or software or whatever your product is, and up into the business side of the way that we operate. Because um, most, most management has been built on Tayloristic management, which is about separating the thinking from the doing. Okay, And it is kind of a command and control style. And really, that works when you're close to known, when you're in a pretty predictable environment. But hey, pandemic, the environment is getting way less predictable. And that what do we need is getting way less predictable. So we need to move from a plan and predict to a sense and respond. And that's really what Agile is good at. And what I see is it's not only coming upstream and into the business, it's going out into other functions. Like one of the clients that I was consulting with earlier this year is in auto parts manufacturing. And 
industries invented before the internet really have one big culture and in industries invented in the internet, but before the cloud have another kind of cultural area. And then in industries invented in the cloud, companies that are born in that area, um, they really get agile already. So auto parts manufacturing, clearly uh, pre-internet. Yeah, it's just got a certain culture. And it was very interesting talking with their chief people officer that they were seeing that Agile gave them a vehicle to, instead of having managers come and go, you just need to fire this person, they're not working out for me, um, to instead work within that system to help find a place for that person. Mm -hmm. So instead of treating people as fungible objects, it was really treating people as people, which is, hey, first value of the manifesto, individuals in interaction. So your question, Justice, do we go back to basics? Yes. Do we have stuff to look forward to? Yes. That's why my answer was yes. Mm. Man, that's that's deep. I, I feel like I could want to take uh, 15 minutes off to the side and think through what you said. I'm, I'm looking forward to going back and listening to this show myself <laughs> and take some notes. Um, I don't want to, I don't want to hog too much. Uh, Rick or Mike, did you have anything you wanted to shoot out? If not, um, uh, yeah, no. So, so my, my big thing, Bernie, and these, these fellows will attest to it, I believe is, you know, like, and this is maybe a little bit more nuanced and specific to agilist scrum masters, people that are currently working in the industry, but, um, you know, I'm sure you've run into situations where specifically, you know, engineering people, dev teams, sometimes don't see the value, you know, in an agilist or a scrum master. And, you know, I guess it's a, a two pronged question is, you know, what, what are you, what's your advice to, to kind of say, you know, how do you respond to that? When hey, we don't need a scrum master, we don't need to follow this process. We don't need this, that, and the other thing, you know, we just get work done. So I guess that's the first question. And the second question is then when, when there is value identified in having an agilist or a scrum master kind of engaging with the team or an agile coach, and there's a process put in place and, and they're working to find the best fit. How do you quantify the results and, and kind of show off the results outside of saying, look, we've increased our speed, but you know, what are some other markers that can be used to quantify those results? Those are my two questions. Okay. So Rick, I'm going to take the second one as sure. the first one. You're sure. going to have to remind me about the first one. I will. And yeah. I'm taking the second one because it's, it's easy. Yeah. Okay. The two big things that I like to look at are value through the system. Mm -hmm. Okay. And happiness, Interesting. particularly happiness of the employees. Okay. So um, if you look at Tony Shea and Zappos, really, if and, and this is rising in management circles, that if you take care of the people, they take care of the business. Um, mm -hmm. This is really epitomized. Simon Sinek's a hero of mine. He wrote a book, uh, Leaders Eat Last. And it's really kind of epitomized in that book of taking care of the people. Uh, Le Leaders Eat Last is a practice in the Marine Corps where the Marines, where it's not codified anywhere, they eat in reverse order of rank. So yeah. the most junior private is first through the chow line versus the most senior officer is at the back of the chow line. And this does a couple of things. It sets that servant leadership example it also lets the leaders know what's really going on for their troops. Because if there's no chow left at the end of the line, they know it. They know it right then and there. It also builds esprit de corps. And Sinek tells stories of 
when a unit's in the field and the officer doesn't have enough to eat, the team tends to take care of them. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it really is that aspect of servant leadership. So I look for happiness mm-hmm. um, and happiness in the employees. And it's talked about in management 3.0, where you can take a simple temperature check on a daily basis. How happy are you? You're going to get an idea of what's going on in the organization. Just as we we did some of this with um, check-ins in the class, where I talked about what's your mindset today? And that helps people to understand what's going on, treats people as people. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, the other thing I like to look at is Mm -hmm. value through the system. Okay. And a lot of folks will go, how do we we measure that? We don't know. We're like so far buried down. It's honestly not hard. So uh, in a lot of my classes, Justice, remind me, did I teach you estimation in my class? It's not one of the required learning objectives, but it's something I throw in as a bonus sometimes. I believe so. Okay. So I like to teach relative estimation where you figure out, hey, is this bigger or smaller than this other thing? And then you put numbers on the bigger or smaller. And I like to use Fibonacci numbers. Mm -hmm. And then once you've established established a scale, it gets really easy. You bring in new work and you go, hey, is it bigger or smaller than this? Boom. What's what's the size? Mm -hmm. Okay. You can do exactly the same thing with value. My wife invented the value estimation game. Okay. Hmm. And all you do is the same thing, but now you're looking at a value vector. So think of, think of remodeling a house. Okay. Um, Let me give you two things. Um, Compared between um, painting. Okay. And Mm -hmm. uh, let's see, let's see something else. It's a, and uh, wiring. Uh, well, rewiring. Re- the okay. House. So let's okay. So let's do like a whole house remodel. So rewiring. You. Okay, rewiring the house and painting. Uh-huh. Um, which one's easier? Which one's harder? It is painting in my book. Is what? It would be easier, easier or e- harder? E- easier. Yeah. Okay. Terrific. Which one more adds more value to the house? <laughs> rewiring. In some, in some cases, painting. I would okay. say. Okay. Generally, <laughs> I, I can tell you all don't invest in real estate. Yeah, it's um, painting. So painting, painting is yeah. going to add because buyers can see that. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yep. Okay. So that's a great illustration of the difference between effort and value. Mm-hmm. So you want to take exactly the same work, but you now do it in terms of value. Okay. okay. What's more valuable versus less valuable? You might be doing this at a large chunk level, like epic level. Mm-hmm. Okay, before you're really breaking it down for some execution. But if every product backlog item should have value, this is what you do. You look at, okay, the value of the possible things that we could be working on. Is it more valuable or less valuable to fix this bug for the business? What's the business level impact? Mm-hmm. So you can establish that same sort of a scale. And the, the one big thing that I do that's different than the way my wife invented the game. So I actually changed the scale on value because... I found when I came across this and I started adopting it into my practice, uh, teams would get confused between, okay, that, that number, that estimate, is that, is that size or is that value? So by having just a different scale on value, you can even do it with t-shirt sizes, extra small to extra large. Teams okay. will get it. Yep. Okay. So I look at value through the system and with the way that I teach value estimation, um, you can get a number for it and it synthesizes across the various aspects of value. Hey, is that about revenue? Is that about market competitiveness? You're really just looking at relative value of the work overall. So happiness and value would be the two things that I want to measure. 
So, Rick, does that like take care of your second question? That takes care of the second entirely. Yeah, those are really, really great um, things to consider. Awesome answers. Um, okay, re re refresh me on that first question then. Yeah, the first one was a little bit more straightforward of a question. And it's, you know, I'm sure you've been around and you've heard teams saying, hey, either they're in the middle of an agile transformation or they're maybe working in some sort of an agile environment. Hey, we don't need a scrum master. We don't need this agile stuff. There's no value. There's no point. How do you show that value and kind of allow teams and, and leadership to see the purpose behind an agilist, I guess? Mm. So uh, what you've hypnotized them. Oh, <laughs> not without permission, Justice. <laughs> okay. okay. <laughs> um, so, so Rick, what's your favorite sport? Uh, hockey. Cool. Yeah. Um, so what's your favorite team? Pittsburgh Penguins. Okay, cool. Uh, who's the coach? Mike Sullivan. Okay, do you think they'd be as good without Mike? Uh, probably. <laughs> <laughs> I I I'm, the answer's yeah. no, Rick. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> the answer's no. The answer's Absolutely no. not. Answer's okay, no. so and then think of individual performance athletes. Um, uh -huh. You know, a lot of them have individual coaches beyond the coaches on the professional team. Sure. That's really what an Agilist should be doing for an organization is making everybody better. It's really about the coaching. Too much of industry is looking at it about the doing, okay. about the taking space aspect. And it's really about making space okay. as a scrum master. Um, it's shifting from a tell assertive style of leadership to an ask assertive style of leadership. And there, you know, a lot of industry, because it's come up in Taylorism and um, project management is very prevalent in industry mm -hmm. and project management thinking is pretty well rooted in plan and predict. Sure. Yep. Um, PMI has been trying to pivot for a good long time now. PMI is, I think, uh, Scrum Alliance now has more members, I think, than, than PMI. I'd actually have to check numbers. And PMI for several years, they introduced their ACP credential. It's a good credential, but they introduced it clearly because they went, wait, wait, uh, you know, we're getting left behind. Whole, yeah. Yeah. This whole agile thing is is coming up big. Mm -hmm. And honestly, they're a for-profit institution. Keep mm -hmm. that in mind. Work versus Scrum Alliance is a nonprofit. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, they pretty clearly introduced that credential because they wanted to have a play in the space and they have been more and more pivoting towards agile because they recognize uh, it's adapt or die here. Mm -hmm. uh, so a lot of that thinking is about plan and predict and, Oh, we've got a project manager to tell the team what to do and teams don't want to be told what to do, mm -hmm. particularly if they've got capabilities. But if you've got somebody who's actually helping to make them better, mm -hmm. that makes a big difference. Another reason teams don't do this, is they grossly undervalue soft skills. Grossly undervalue soft skills. Mm -hmm. So a lot of technical teams, they value the hard skills. How, you know, how much can you turn out? What's the really cool stuff that you've built? Mm -hmm. Okay. <clears throat> but here's the thing. Everybody likes to win, Rick. Even yeah. the Pittsburgh Penguins. <laughs> I love it when they win. Yeah, come on. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Everybody likes to win. Mm -hmm. And um, here's a part of winning. It takes a high-performing team. Look at what the Giants, the San Francisco Giants did this year. Mm -hmm. 107 wins. Mm -hmm. And they really have not had superstar since the Barry Bonds era. Mm -hmm. 
They're really built as a full team. That's a huge illustration of what it takes to win. You actually want to have a high-performing team. Principle five of the manifesto, motivated teams, teamwork. Okay. Um, Google did a study called Project Aristotle. And just as I know, it's in the, the case studies links that mm -hmm. I gave you in class. Uh, I think Project Aristotle was 2013, might have been 2012. And they looked at what does it take for high-performing teams. And they found it wasn't the skill of the people on the team. It wasn't several. It was actually psychological safety, a soft skill. Mm -hmm. So these teams that say, I don't need anybody to tell, them, tell us what to do. Okay, I completely get that. But really what coaching is all about is a bunch of soft skills of helping people. You don't, um, you don't direct them, mm -hmm. okay? It's more how do you help them go on their own voyage of discovery? Very interesting. You know, you know Bernie, it, it, what, what strikes me about that answer is that's really hard to do. That is, <laughs> yeah. You know, you know uh, running sessions, following a book, facilitation, uh, reporting out metrics. That's all extremely easy to do. What you're describing is 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 a whole. It's a whole another plane of of difficulty and 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 transparency and engagement with real human beings like so so justice i mean i just have to interject because i want mm -hmm. i, I want to tack on to what you're saying i mean that is a mm -hmm. really difficult thing a lot of times specifically dealing in the soft if you believe so well i i guess would, would you I, like I, help would you like help eliminating that limiting belief yes <laughs> hypnotize him bernie come on <laughs> let's go <laughs> well i i just i do have one question though have you bernie in your experience uh, found a specific uh type of experience that somebody has come from that makes a good agilist or a specific personality type, or is it kind of everybody that can achieve? Um, so th this is, um, this is a nice question. I'm going to, I might be answering this one sideways. Right? Okay. Um, so sometimes I teach an intro to agile course at Stanford continuing studies. Okay. And I co-teach that with my wife. Like I said, she's an agilist as well. Uh, and it's really remarkable. We get folks from all around Silicon Valley, you know, names of companies that you, you've heard of, like, um, Square has sent lots of people through, uh, people have said they they're from Facebook. Um, we've had folks from NASA, from the European space agency through those classes. Um, uh, the people from Apple, they never say they're from Apple, but you can tell. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and we run simulations in that class. And part of it is having somebody play the role of a scrum master. What's really interesting to us is you can run those simulations and just by observing how the teams are operating, you can tell somebody who's got the chops to really be a good scrum master. And more often than not, when we go up to them and say, you know, you're doing really well at this. What's your background? Uh, technical writing, honestly, you know, more often than not, has a set of skills that's really complementary, And we think this is why they know how to communicate with people. They're just technical enough to understand enough of the technology, but they're really good at communicating. The best scrum masters are really people people. They're not technical people. And this is why teams overvalue hard skills. Mm -hmm. That's good. That's interesting. So Justin, Bernie, you ready to get hypnotized? I'm, I'm ready. I'm, my mind is fully <laughs> open. That's right.
That's right. So, so I have a quick question. Uh, you know, it's funny that you were uh, it just, it's funny to hear other people's backgrounds and, and how they got into uh, the agile realm. Um, I, I, I thought it was quite for me personally, I, I was in, uh, I was in radio producing uh, for the last six years. So I'm fairly new in the agile realm. Um, and so I, what I want to know is what, what advice would you give someone wanting to pursue a career as an agilist? Um, and, and what are the best resources that have helped you? I know you mentioned Steve Denning, uh, storytelling, the secret language of leadership. Um, yeah. So it, it kind of depends, Michael. Um, it's, uh, a, a certification isn't going to get you a job. I'll be upfront about that. Uh, but what a certification does is it gives you the language to describe what you do. And with that language, you can describe the experiences that you've already had to show that <clears throat> you can deliver that type of value. And that's what I will tell folks who come through and ask me for career advice. Like um, uh, Dora Lulick, and I can mention her name because she actually publicly thanked me on LinkedIn, came through my class like this time last year. So last November 2020, reached out to me in February 2021, said, could you look at my resume? And I said, let's set up some time instead. So we set up some time and I coached her through job search for about a half an hour. She went out and applied it. And really what she did is she reframed her existing language. So she was looking for an entry level scrum master position. She reframed what she'd already been doing in agile terms and was able to tell the story um, about what she's already done and how it fits with agile. Hmm. And she found a job within two weeks that she wow. described as a dream job. So uh, one strategy is go get the language so you can describe it, but then use that to describe your existing experience. So you've got to have the experience that you can bring just for that beginner level position. And you've probably already got it. You just need to know how to describe what you've already got. Um, it's easier usually to get that role in your own organization where you are now because you're kind of a known quantity versus hiring into a, uh, a new organization unless say you're a college hire and one of the job search strategies there is <clears throat> you go get known as somebody who wants to do it and then you find where the organization has some need and you volunteer to do it anyway mm. okay so you get known as having those capabilities. And then when the opening comes up, you make your interest really known and they recognize, oh, you can already do the job. Sometimes it's even uh, an opening comes up and they say, hey, Michael, would you be interested in this? You're like, yeah, great. Here, um, write the job rec. We need to do this so that we can post it so that we can comply with laws. But OK, great. The job's yours. I see. And uh, any any resources? Uh, other than obviously taking your class, which we'll get to uh, in a little bit. So if you're listening, uh, don't worry. You will find out how to uh, sign up for his class. Um, but again, you mentioned Steve Denning. Um, any other resources that you think would, would help add value to an Agilist? Mm, there, are, there are honestly so many. Um, your top something, five. So, yeah, so uh, Steve Denning and storytelling as a leadership capability is one that I go back to. Uh, specific to Agile, Coaching Agile Teams by Lisa Adkins is a classic. Um, it's something that's going to give you some good basics. 
Um, what would I, what else would I say? Oh, man, I'm, I'm looking at my bookshelf to see. I, I, I get in some really deep stuff really fast. So looking at some business books and understanding a business angle, honestly, because the teams themselves can figure out the technology. They can figure out the how to put things together, but understanding the impact of the business really helps an agilist, yeah. whether they're a product owner or a scrum master. So one of the classics, I go into Jeffrey Moore's work, um, Crossing the Chasm, um, Inside the Tornado. Those, those books are 30 years old. Uh, I'm looking on my shelf for something that's a little bit more recent from him, and I can't see it at the distance that I'm at. But um, it'd be it'd be thinking in business terms and finding something that lights you up there. Okay. So just to jump in on that, um, uh, if that's okay, Mike. Um, yeah, absolutely. Go for it. We're, we're coming up on the on the hour. Um, so there's been a, a, a strong emphasis on the connecting with the individual, uh, coaching and connecting with the team. There's this quote, Bernie, that's like really impacted me. And it's a quote from uh, Mick, Mick Kirsten. And he wrote that book, uh, Project to Product. Mm -hmm. and, um, and it was like, it seems like his writing comes up a lot in the, in mm -hmm. the safe space, uh, scaled agile framework, right? Mm -hmm. And the quote says this, it says that, those who master large-scale software delivery will define the economic landscape of the 21st century. And when I heard that, ever since I heard it, I thought, how does one scale this? Okay. Um, and so that's where my interest, as of a, a couple of years ago, really moved to what does scaled agile look like? How is it done? And, and, and from there is when I got exposed to discipline, agile delivery, save less and some different things. What are your thoughts on, on this quote on scaling? And do you have any advice on what direction that you would advise a person to go into who's trying to really define the economic landscape of the 21st century, you know? Um, so boy, I can't remember. Uh, it was the founder of Netscape and I can't remember his name right now. He, there's a quote from him. Um, that uh, software is eating the world, yep. and it really is. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, we're we're moving uh, to where software is defining things, and we're doing uh, demand demand supply and capacity management. We're doing a lot of it through software. Um, so, as far as large scale software delivery, I'm much more a believer in less, which is about descaling. So again, this, this comes back to some principles out of the Marine Corps and the military in general about command intent. Uh, the commanders <clears throat> should communicate the intent that they have, not necessarily the how to get there. So this is a product owner talking about the why and the what that we need to have, and then letting the team figure out how. If in a command and control structure, you're just telling people what to do, they become automatons. Um, versus if you're setting that space for then people to operate in independently towards a shared goal, that's how you unleash things. And so instead of scaling things up and like trying to build layer on layer on layer, like some of these frameworks do, it really is about descaling the overall system and trying to get to the simplest levels. 
And this is where Denning starts talking about it. And I'd have to go back and look at notes to, to tell you where he talks about, you know, when he started out, you know, there, or when Agile started out, there were 12 principles. It was too much for, for managers to wrap their head around. And then his book, um, oh boy, I should have that one on my shelf. Uh, I can't remember the title of it, but he wrote it around 2010. Um, and it was really about Agile starting to come into the management space overall. And he distilled it down to about seven principles in that book. And then when he wrote his latest book, uh, The Art of Agile in 2016, he says, I finally got it down to about three. And I think managers can wrap their heads around this now. So descaling the system is really what it's about. And then empowering those self-directed teams that Scrum talks about um, to be able to go and independently solve those things in alignment with the overall intent, I think, are the way that you truly master large-scale operations. You're speaking my language. This is this is agreed. You, you know, Bert, dude, just to follow up on that, Bernie. Um, this uh, what I'm hearing a little bit is a uh, is um when you talk about this descaling and empowering is you know there's a huge move with with the Web three revolution is to decentralize capital flows, decentralize decision making. It all goes with holacracy and flat and all that. Mm -hmm. And so it's such a unexpected turn compared to a, my natural impulse is like what does they scaled up rather than a descaling so that's that's super interesting and um i wanted to mention too real quick that as far as um you talked about the different epochs where you know uh, software was the choke point it was the uh it, the was, it was the development of software yeah yeah, yeah. And, and and then it was um the devops the, and stuff the delivery of delivery. it right yep. and um our next i think it's going to be our next guest on the show who's going to specifically be talking about the low code slash no code movement mm -hmm. and 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 basically the idea that we're really kind of hot on and interested in is what's the shortest feedback loop than the one where the user or at least the the initial creator is at the keyboard themselves mm -hmm. and that that's the feedback loop of almost like even reducing the need for having an entire team of writing software mm -hmm. that's how how, how sh short that that feedback loop is getting you know mm -hmm. I, I i i very much agree yeah um I think um, I, I think um, Mike definitely wanted to hear some more some more um, resources from you. What we could do is we're definitely going to link in everything that you've mentioned. If there's anything off the top of your head you want to put in, or you think about later, we'll make sure we'll put it in the show notes. You know. So yeah, um, one thing I can mention is probably just like my reading list, but let me let me kind of bring that up. Um, so I've got a Bitly link for that. That's pretty easy to get to over audio. So, uh, no, okay, it's going to be with that keyword. So uh, I do have uh, on Goodreads, I do have a, a, a reading list that uh, I, I can I can give you for the show notes. So oh, yeah. just like a bunch of books that's like, okay, here, you want a stack of things that is worthwhile from stuff that I've read that I'd recommend. Um, I, I can, I'll, I'll be happy to give you that. I just don't. I'm, I'm not a college bowl sort of a person. Um, when I was, when I was in e-school, uh, my, my thesis professor said, you know, those are college bowls answers, you know, specific and instant or in instantaneous recall of specific information. And in e-school, 
when I was going through, we would talk about French versus English as styles of engineering. And the English style of engineering is to have uh, a guidebook, you know, with tables in it that you do lookups in. You'd understand the principles enough, but you go look stuff up versus the French style of engineering was really be able to go back to first principles and derive it. And instead of like having that ability to look things up in my head instantaneously, I'm more like, okay, so where can I go? You know, how do I find the thread in there is the way my brain is mm -hmm. organized. So yeah, I'll, I'll get you all a link that will point you at um, a reading list that does it's well beyond agile. Okay. Well, I'll say this already in this short conversation we've had together, I was tired from a long day and I, all of us, I think had a long day today. You more than us three, I think even I was tired before this conversation started. I'm not tired at all. Now I feel like the night is young. <laughs> I got stuff to read stuff, to do stuff, to figure out areas to grow in. So Bernie, I tell you every time I've interacted with you, man, you inject energy wow. into me and vision and excitement. And, um, we really want to uh, put put you out there as much as we possibly yeah. can for anyone else who would want to follow up and get more time with you, kind of get all your experience and knowledge that you have to share. What's the best way for someone to kind of go deeper with the, with the Bernie Maloney brand? Um, so a lot of what I do is um, I, I do training courses. So I'll give you a couple links you can put in the show notes. Um, the company name is Powered by Teams, and I list my public courses right now at poweredbyteams.eventbrite.com. So you can find my Certified Scrum Master or my Certified Scrum Product Owner courses there. There's some other things that are in development that I haven't launched yet. Um, the website, okay, it's nascent at its level, and honestly, I've got to get around to blogging. Um, I'm terrible. Uh, I'm a much better editor than I am a creator and writer. Uh, so that's another way you can stay in touch. You can, um, please don't reach out just to connect with me on LinkedIn because I like to know the people that are in my connections. You're welcome to follow me on LinkedIn, which is then going to, when I post something, it's going to give you an alert about stuff that I have. So you could follow me on LinkedIn or Twitter. Um, both of them are Bernie Maloney. So the usual URL followed by Bernie Maloney will, uh, get you to me on both of those platforms. So those are ways that you can keep in touch. If you want to take uh, one of my courses, so um, that Powered by Teams Eventbrite link will take you there. And my Scrum Alliance courses, you can go to bit.ly slash, and that's all one word uh, with capitals, Bernie Maloney Scrum Alliance courses. Awesome. awesome. That's great. <laughs> Thank you so much, Bernie, for yeah. coming on the show, man. Thank you for having me. We got this we is, got studying to do. <laughs> yeah, this is this is terrific. I, we we honestly, I can't thank you enough for for joining yeah. us. Well, you're welcome. You know, like if it comes back around, um, I'd be happy to come back uh, again at a future date if that's appropriate. Thank well, you. Great. Sounds good. Guys, what did I tell you about Bernie? <laughs> that was awesome. <laughs> that really was a good. <laughs> he was like, uh, uh, and I don't mean this in a bad way, just like the Energizer Bunny of Agile. I mean, he he just could tell you all kinds of things that you never would even think about. Dude, he's dropping so much alpha, man. I, I'm like, I'm like, dude, I I, I got a bunch of uh, unconscious and conscious fears and insecurities. Like, I want to break through. <laughs> I, like, I like, I I absolutely understand why people use Bernie as a as a as a life coach and this other stuff, because 
you know, and, um, you know, one thing that came to my mind, I mean, the, the time went by so fast, but one thing came to my mind is, is, you know, when he talked about removing waste and stuff, how in my own life, there have been certain things that have been removed and without even trying to make everything better, everything else got better. That mm -hmm. lean principle at mm -hmm. work, you know, and he was talking about, you know, doing a relative, uh, relative value on things and how, you know, first thing I thought, cut out the low value and automatically you've completely upped the whole game, you know? Yeah. I, I, I thought it was interesting. A couple things, right. Is he talked a little bit about obviously the value and he brought up the example, the wiring and the painting of a remodel. And I'm thinking, yeah, like painting people are going to, you know, look at that. We know wiring is very important, but mm -hmm. people look at the, the paint and stuff. I get it. Um, but a couple of the other things that, you know, he touched on was, um, you know, how do we quantify if a, if a, a scrum master, an agilist or somebody is, is making a difference or the things that they put into practice are making a difference? That was pretty, mm -hmm. pretty neat. Cool answer. And mm -hmm. then, uh, you know, just some of the other stuff that he dove into his approach on things where he's come from. Uh, mm -hmm. I thought it was pretty interesting. Yeah. Yeah. The, I, I've never listened to Bernie talk or had any information from him where I felt like it was a snooze fest or, or a skipper. You know, so I was like, oh, neuro-linguistic programming, psychology, hypnosis, personal breakthroughs. Like, dude, when he's like, what's the secret of scaling? Descaling? I was like, yeah. you know. Yeah, I mean, it's... <laughs> he was talking like I was I was loving that because, you know, me, I'm like all against, you know, yeah. major frameworks and huge expensive transformations. So I'm like, yeah, mm -hmm. do, do it easier. Yeah, do it less. Thanks again for listening to another episode of the Modern Agilist Podcast, where we examine and discuss all things related to Agile and large-scale software delivery. You can find the latest podcast episodes and our latest blog posts on our website, themodernagilist.net. You can also find our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. And if you enjoyed listening to our content, please subscribe. Subscribe.